Hey everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the No Wellness Wankery podcast. And today I'm chuffed. I'm very chuffed because I've got a very special guest with me. It's Glenn McIntosh. You might know him. I hope you know him. And if you don't, today's going to be a great chance for you to get to know him. Glenn McIntosh is a psychologist and he's he's just seriously passionate about healthy eating, about physical activity, about weight and body image and all this stuff that I also care about. He's the author of the best-selling book, Thin Sanity, which is seven steps to transform your mindset and say goodbye to dieting forever, which you know I'm all about. He's also the founder of the Weight Management Psychology Clinic and the creator of the Transformation Support Community, which is a seriously brilliant online program. You'll also find him on YouTube and I I do recommend that you check out his YouTube videos because they're seriously informative and helpful, just like everything that he does. So Glenn, thanks for coming on today's show. Oh, Lindy, what a wonderful intro. And I'm always loving talking to you and I'm excited. I'm excited too, because I mean, you and I can go on and on about all this stuff because we care about things. We, we care about the same things. Emotional eating is something that both you and I work in and we really want to help people overcome emotional eating. So I want to talk to you about it today. You and I did some filming recently and in one of the videos, you taught me something. You talked about this idea of emotional eating is kind of like double dipping on a bad mood. And I wonder if you could explain that to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do sometimes talk about emotional eating being like double dipping on a bad mood. So, you know, emotional eating starts when we're feeling quote unquote bad. They're not bad, but some type of uncomfortable feelings. And that might be like stress or sadness or loneliness or one of the zillion unpleasant emotions that are part of our contract with life. So it starts with us feeling uncomfortable. And then what we try to do is we try and use food to soothe that discomfort, either to distract it or to numb it out or to push it down, uh, to escape from it, uh, which makes a lot of sense. And it is a normal and a natural thing to do. But there is no nutritional solution to an emotional problem. So, you know, if your body's hungry, if it's needing nutrition, then food is a really good answer. But if you're experiencing unpleasant emotions, then food is not necessarily a great answer in the long term. It's sorry. It's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on when you've got a headache. It's like, <sighs> it's just not the right solution for the exactly. problem. Exactly. <laughs> we're, not, we, we're not using the right tool for the job. But unfortunately, and I know that you know about this and a lot of your, your audience know about this, Lindy, with the rules that we associate with having to eat a certain way and feeling guilty for overeating or um, you know eating certain foods or overeating might not be in line with our values of you know eating healthily or nourishing our bodies then yet not only is it an ineffective strategy like using a band-aid for a headache but it actually often makes you feel worse it's like now you know you might get say if you're feeling stressed you eat you don't feel stressed for a short period of time. And the research shows us that it we'd often, and this is why we do it, of course, because it does relieve those feelings often quite effectively in the short term. But then as soon as we stop eating, typically those feelings come back. So now I'm stressed again, but now I've got a side order of guilt or frustration with myself. So that's why I say it's like, it's not only is it not very effective at solving the problem, you're actually eight times out of 10 making yourself feel worse. 
Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's, I was, I was in my keep it real community and we were having a chat about the idea that some people in the group talked about how they use food as a punishment for themselves in a way. It's almost like, uh, I don't know, almost like, well, you've messed up already. We're just going to, you know, double down and, and then we'll have to get back on track. So I think there's so many ways that we're using food as, uh, as an emotional crutch that doesn't really serve us. But I think one of the things you talk about is this idea of emotional eating actually being a gift. Can you talk to us about that? I can absolutely talk to you about that. And I think sometimes when I start to talk about that, people are like, is this guy lost his mind? As you said, I'm a psychologist who specializes. I run a clinic full of psychologists and we all work in eating, physical activity, weight and body image. And most of our clients don't at least initially, think that their emotional eating is a great gift. They tend to feel a lot of other ways about it. Um, But let me see if I can convince you. Please. (laughs) I don't know if you feel this way, Lindy. I think a lot of us feel this way at times. Is that sometimes we just kind of just meander or cruise through life and we're not as in touch with our emotions as we could be. We're not as, as maybe honoring of our deep desires and our wants and needs as we could be. We're maybe not as acknowledging of the, the changes that we could make in our lives to, to make them better. Now, the good news is because if we've kind of established that emotional eating is about mood, not about food, it's an emotional thing. It's not actually a food thing. If, if we can, can accept that it's about mood, then what that really means is that whenever we have this emotional pull to food, so we're wanting to eat certain foods and we know that our body's not hungry, we might not even want to taste that food. It might be like, I'm just eating, I'm not even enjoying the food. Or sometimes if we're eating a whole variety of foods in the fridge and nothing is kind of cutting it, you know, if we're getting those urges and we feel like it, it might be an emotional eating pull, then all emotional eating boils down to one of three things or a combination of these three things. There are some unpleasant emotions that are in there that we want to resolve. There are some unmet wants and needs that we're trying probably unsuccessfully to meet with food or there are some changes in our life. They might be small changes or big changes that need to happen to kind of make us feel like we're back to to ourselves, back to our best selves, back to zero centered. And the cool thing is, as an emotional eater, if any of this is happening, if there are some unpleasant feelings you've got to resolve, some unwet wants and needs that that need to be fulfilled or some changes that you need to make in your life, then you get this really clear signal. And the signal comes in the the form of that non-hungry desire to eat. I just want to emotionally eat. And so it's kind of like I think of it like a a present that's wrapped up. It doesn't come – it comes in the form of a food craving. So you then need to unwrap it and see what's going on underneath there. It's so good because your body is constantly trying to give you clues about how to look after it. And emotional eating is a very clear signal from your body to say, hey, there's something else we got to check out here. And rather than trying to double down and be like, let's try harder to to beat the emotional eating, the emotional eating is a symptom. It's not really the problem to be fixing. Is that what you're saying as well? 
hundred percent. And so in that way, and I think you're exactly right, because if you're just using your willpower to fight against these urges, that's going to take a lot of effort and you're probably going to end up not being successful and then blaming yourself. Um, but I, I think that's a, a, a wonderful way to put it, Lindy, is that our, our, our bodies, our minds, our emotions are always giving us information. And if we can interpret that desire to emotionally eat, not as a sign that we're uh, lazy or that we're terrible people or even that we have a poor relationship with food, but a sign that my, my, what's going on inside is trying to tell me something, then we can actually use our emotions as signposts. So if I'm feeling lonely, well, I probably don't need food. I need to find some way to connect in a meaningful way. Um, if I'm feeling bored, I don't need to eat necessarily at that time. I need to find something inspiring or something that's going to absorb me, something that's going to occupy my mind. Mm. So instead of like when you go, when you like finish emotionally eating, instead of being like, damn, I really screwed up. Why did I do that again? It's rather, hey, thanks. That was actually cute. Cool. I know I now need something. I need to work on something and reframing that in your mind can help you eliminate that guilt and or at least minimize it a little bit. I always think about emotional eating and binge eating in particular as a protective a protective response. Yep. Whereas like your body is trying to look after you. It's a very normal reaction to have after feelings of restriction or intense things happening in your life. So rather than seeing it as you're saying is like this awful thing that's happened, it's actually something that's that's here to serve you and help you. And if we reframe it like that, sounds like what you're saying is that's really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And so then you can, you know, if you get good at unpacking these emotional eating urges, you actually get better at resolving your unpleasant emotions. You get better at meeting your wants and needs. You get better at making the important changes in your life. So you can actually use this information because inside your emotions is this treasure trove of information telling you where to go in life. You can think of your emotions like signposts. If you get really good at, you know, paying attention to the signposts, you actually create a better life than the one you would have if you weren't an emotional eater. Oh, I'm learning a lot. I'm loving it. So uh, one of the concepts you've talked about before is this idea that the cure for emotional eating is having a great life and and why working on our psychology and how we feel about ourselves and in ourselves is so important. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, sometimes we think that, you know, the um, uh, 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 treatment for emotional eating might be something like, practicing meditation or going for a walk instead or connecting with uh, someone and deeper downloading your day and having a chat. And those things are all wonderful. And that, that's for a lot of people, that's the start of transcending emotional eating. But we often say that the cure for emotional eating is having a great life, having a life that is so rich and full and meaningful that there just isn't a whole lot of space for emotional eating. And so this is where we, you know, often because like I'm a psychologist who specializes in eating, physical activity, weight and body image, and sometimes our clients will say, oh, Glenn, I've got something going on with my relationship or there's some big decision I've got to make at work or, geez, I've been feeling really in a funk lately. I think I might be depressed. And they'll sometimes say to us, they'll say, can I talk with you about that? Because you're really like the food psych. And we say, yes, absolutely. You're probably 
have to talk with us about that because if you've got all of this stuff going on in your life, like let's use, you know, this really terrible, chaotic example of someone who has problems in their relationship, who is not sure about their direction in life, who might have a, a like a chronically depressed mood, going for a walk or having a glass of water instead is not going to tackle that. <laughs> what, 10-minute meditation ain't going to fix that. It's not going to fix it. And so the way I think about this as well, what you're saying is when we get preoccupied by food and trying to fix food and when we think it's the problem, we actually all we do is we we ruminate around food and, and how to fix it instead of actually living a big, juicy, amazing life. We actually pull back from social occasions. We might, um, you know, avoid carbohydrates and then turn up as our like most <laughs> angry, cranky selves. <laughs> and that doesn't help our lives at all. Um, when our, when our brain space is so occupied by what we're allowed to eat all the time, what we're doing is we're, we're doing the exact opposite of what we should be doing. We're limiting our lives. We're living small. And what you're saying is actually the, that's kind of like the, the bandaid on the headache thing. What we need to be treating is, is, is mood instead of thinking about it. It's a, it's a food problem. It's a, it's a, it's a mood thing that we need to work on our mood and making our life as glorious and, and fulfilling as it can be. Absolutely. And something you really touched on there, Lindy, is um, diet culture and diet mentality. We know that dieting mindset is related to emotional eating. So to, if we want to get nerdy about it, there's a 22, there's a 0.22 R value, a 0.22 correlation between emotional eating and dieting mindset, which means that if you're an emotional eater, speaking you know, in generalities, 22% of your emotional eating, so about a fifth, so almost a quarter, can be explained by having a diet mindset. So that's why all that great stuff that you do in helping people cultivate a healthy relationship with food and see themselves as much more than their weight or shape is actually so important. What it really sounds like you're saying is that working on you know, removing diet culture from our lives is one part of the puzzle piece to helping us reduce emotional eating and eventually hopefully stop it so it's not something that controls us anymore. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I've heard you talk talk about, or I'd love to hear you talk about it more, is um, the two systems in our minds. We're talking about impulsive and reflective and yeah. the importance of emotional hygiene. What what even is that? Yeah. Tell us, tell us all about it, please. Yeah. yeah, so this is where it, it, you know, changing a lot of habits, but something like emotional eating can be a bit tricky. So, you know, a lot of people will be thinking, okay, hopefully you're kind of, to some degree, you're picking up what we're putting down, but then you're thinking, okay, well, I might have the best kind of laid plans to say if I, for example, say if I get home and I feel a little bit lonely, I might live by myself, I'm going to make a plan to rather than eat the food, um, take the dog out for a walk and while I do that, call mum. That's like a perfectly good strategy, right? But as we know, we don't always do those strategies, and sometimes uh, some of my clients will feel like they're in, in two minds when it comes to making eating choices. You know, one mind will be saying very logically and rationally, why don't you do that strategy and get outside, get a bit of vitamin D, connect with the dog, connect with mum. And then the other part of the mind is like, yeah, got all that, but stuff it, still want to eat the chocolate cake. <laughs> 
And sometimes my clients will be like, am I crazy? And so a lot of my clients feel a bit crazy around food. And the, the good news is you're not crazy if you feel like you're in two minds because there are actually two parts of your mind that are making eating decisions at any given time. And making actually any decisions. This is this this holds true for any decisions. So we've got the what we call the reflective system, and that is the logical, slow thinking brain, the brain that realizes the consequences of our actions and will choose the best consequences for the situation. And then we have the impulsive brain. And that's the brain that happens very quickly. It happens instinctively. It's not a logical-based system. It's an emotional-based system. And often that impulsive system is actually um, is actually running the show. So that's why sometimes we have these best plans, these intentions, but then say we, we get home, we've had a long day, we're stressed, we're feeling emotional, that impulsive brain is taking over. And then we think, like, I get there might be 50 strategies that I could do that are not emotional eating, but I just don't care. I want to just do the emotional eating thing. I think so many people listening are going to be able to go, I know exactly what you're talking about. One prime example that comes up quite often for me and my clients is, is um, you know, when you, you make yourself a healthy lunch ahead of the day, um, which is kind of like your reflective part, and, and then you get to lunchtime and the impulsive part of you is like, I don't really feel like eating that. It's a really healthy salad. Yep. I actually want to have a burger. Yep. Um, and so we have this conflict. What you're saying is like a conflict between your know, current self and future self and the aspirations. And then, you know, we might put out our workout clothes and then we, the alarm goes off in the morning and we're just like, bugger it. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to sleep in. Uh, what is, I mean, I know there's probably no quick, easy fix for any of this stuff, but, um, is there a way that we bring those two selves closer together? Is there a way that we kind of find the midway point between the two selves? What are your thoughts? I think there's a really cool implication in there, Libby, that you sort of said, is there a way that we can get those two parts sort of talking to each other more nicely? And I think that's a really great way to look at it. We don't want to think of these parts as warring parts. These parts are really healthy parts of our brain. The the, the reflective system, it helps us reflect and forward plan and make really conscious decisions. And the impulsive decision uh, one helps us make uh, instinctive decisions. It helps us uh, make habitual decisions so we don't have to think so much. So they're both really, really good. And here is one of the real paradoxes. Uh, and, and, and also within this is the, the answer or, or a really good answer as to what can help us. Because one of the key things that, that can help us if, is if we understand that when we're feeling lots of unpleasant emotions, so really intense unpleasant emotions, ongoing unpleasant emotions, conditions with our mood, what that does is it affects the balance of the reflective system and the impulsive system. And what it does is, probably not surprisingly, it makes the impulsive system more active and it turns down the reflective system. So if we're feeling a lot of persistent, intense, recurring unpleasant emotions, our impulsive system, which is the part that will lead us to emotional eating, is actually going to be turned right up and our reflective system is, is turned right down. Want to stop binge and emotional eating for good? Understand the cause of these habits. Learn how to deal with afternoon or evening binges 
and get the number one tool you need to break up with binging for good with my free five-day course. This means no more hiding food wrappers, eating in secret, or feeling guilt and shame around your eating behaviors. Instead, you'll learn how to regain control over food, make peace with your body, and stop being consumed by thoughts of food all the time. Sign up to my free course in the show notes and experience the life-changing transformation for yourself. So it's almost like when we're in a really high stress situation yep. or we're not sleeping enough, we're going to get a dial down on this reflective part. And 100%. That in some way prioritizing sleep, this might feel like this crazy, you know, unrelated to food, but prioritizing sleep is going to help us with that feeling more settled, feeling more at peace, making those decisions that benefit us more in the future. And I think sometimes people are overlooking how great an impact stress in your mood and what you're saying and how much um, sleep and quality sleep, how much it plays into mood regulation and therefore what you end up eating and how you end up exercising. 100%. Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's what I call emotional hygiene. It's we need to be looking at, and I think about it like if you think about like the hygiene of brushing your teeth, you know, <laughs> you don't wait until your teeth are all like furry oh. and falling out <laughs> to be like, oh, I might brush my teeth. You brush them every day. Um, so mm. you have less problems. And when you do, they're easier to deal with. So it's, and that's absolutely what it is. It's, it's looking at things like your sleep. Uh, managing medications, looking at, you know, regular practices that help your mood, like physical activity or meditation or whatever you want to do. So you're creating the right brain environment, the right reflective impulsive balance to be able to make good choices. Because if you don't do the emotional hygiene, I say it's like showing up to the game without having done any training. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, now I'm at the fridge and I'm trying to make this choice to, I don't know, say cook something nutritious versus, you know, eat whatever is really, really delicious and make is going to make us feel like crap or whatever it is. And, but we're tired because we haven't slept well last night. We're overly stressed. We haven't moved our bodies. We haven't done any of that emotional hygiene. Mm. It's going to be super, super tough. Super tough to do, but even tougher to do consistently so you can form that into a new habit that will last forever. I wish more people understood the importance of looking after their mental well-being proactively, preventatively, even seeing a psychologist as something that we just do to maintain that um, emotional hygiene. I know um, so many really impressive, high achieving humans, they will seek out a psychologist and have them as someone they're often speaking to. And I think we don't need to wait until we feel like we're drowning or feel like we're with, you know, our teeth are falling out before we go and seek a psychologist. And I think the thing I'm always speaking to all my clients about is this idea of, well, we want to be seeing like a non-diet dietitian like me and um, using the things, the programs and apps that I create for you. But seeing someone at the same time, like Glenn, a psychologist who specializes in this area and not just someone like a, a, you know, a general psychologist, although that's also useful depending on what you're getting help with, but specifically if disordered eating, body image, weight struggles, if this feels like something that you'd like to change, speaking to a psychologist and Glenn's team are brilliant. I would, I would highly recommend them, um, is kind of something that you can do to change the game and to get 
back into that point where we're not just acting reactively, but you're proactively looking after your your mental, your your emotional hygiene. Absolutely. And that's something you speak a lot about, Lindy, and you, know, you speak openly about the importance of mental health and your mental health. And I think that's so important. You know, we say that psychology is like, you know, seeing a, a mechanic, you know, you can see a mechanic for when your car breaks down, you kind of need to see one, or you can see one just for a tune-up every now yeah. and then, or you can see one for performance enhancement. It's like there's nothing necessarily wrong. You can just see them because you want to get better at something. And I, I agree with you completely. I think that so – and that's why I think, Lindy, so many of our people are the same people because people – you know, this, these challenges are psychodietetic. There's so mm-hmm. much of the psychology and the, the dietetics intertwined and the combo of a non-diet dietitian and a psychologist who has a real interest in this space can be – Absolutely game changing. It, it, it seriously, it seriously can be. And that would be my recommendation for everyone. I always think about you go to gym for your body, right? And then mm. what do you actually do to look after your brain, which is the, the organ that's dictating everything. <laughs> it's the most important organ that you have um, to look after. And I think we should proactively be doing that. Um, Glenn, uh, before we finish up, I did want to get one more concept out of you, which is the importance of emotional regulation and emotional acceptance. So this is that idea of changing and accepting your emotions, but I want to hear it from you. Please tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. Often, of course, like we said, emotional eating starts with some unpleasant emotions. And I even kind of use the term quote, quote unquote bad because they feel bad, but that doesn't mean they are bad. So often what we will do is, you know, if you're feeling some unpleasant emotions, a great strategy is to look to resolve or to reduce those emotions. So that's what we call emotion regulation. So for example, if I'm stressed, how do I calm myself down without food? But even if we get really, really good at regulating our emotions, unpleasant emotions are a natural, normal, healthy part of living life. So it's normal for us to feel sad at times. It's normal for us to feel anxious and worried. It's normal for us to feel lonely or regretful or guilty. And these can actually be really helpful, healthy, uh, positive emotions, even though they don't feel positive. So Emotion regulation is often where we go to first, like I want to feel better, quote unquote. But if our only aim is to feel better, then when we inevitably feel some of those unpleasant emotions that we can't get rid of and we don't have any other strategies, we always go back to food. But if we develop the ability to make space for these emotions, to actually allow our bodies to process the emotions. Because the good news is that all emo- no emotions last forever. Emotions will naturally process through our bodies. We don't actually have to do anything. We just have to make space for those emotions as they come and they go naturally. Then we get to the point where emotional, what we call emotional acceptance Uh, or sometimes emotional expansion, making space for the emotions, that becomes the backstop. So Mm. then if I can say if I'm really, really stressed and I can practice some meditation and some positive thinking and my stress goes down, beautiful. But say I'm feeling really, really stressed and it's a problem that doesn't have an immediate solution and I'm going to be stressed for the next couple of weeks until that solution comes, you know, eventuates, then 
the backstop becomes, well, I can just make room for that stress. I don't have to judge myself for feeling stressed. I don't have to try and get rid of it with emotional eating or any other of the sometimes less effective ways that we can use to try and regulate our moods. I can just make room for this feeling. I don't have to like it necessarily, um, but I can just make room for it knowing that it will come and it will go of its own time and it's not bad, it's just normal. Mm. So it's like recognizing kind of use, sometimes using emotional eating to recognize that there is actually something else at play or recognizing or I'm feeling angry right now, rather than pushing against it and trying to fight it, you're accepting, you acknowledge it. And even just becoming mindful of it, that can already create a little bit more space for it, um, which is so much better than pushing against it, trying to fix it, blaming yourself for feeling these things and feeling awful. And then it just becomes a whole, a big beast that it didn't need to be. Absolutely. And, and you're absolutely right, Lindy. Mindfulness is a, the perfect first step to make some space with your feelings because what is mindfulness? It's a non-judgmental observation of what's going on now. So you're already observing, oh, geez, I'm feeling pretty stressed right now. I'm feeling quite lonely. I'm feeling very sad but without the judgment. So, And, of course, there's the non-judgmental part and then there's the observation. So if there's part of you observing your stress, you're no longer completely caught up in your stress. Game changing stuff. Um, so that's step one is mindfulness. If you want to hear all the other steps, um, I do encourage you to check out Glenn McIntosh. I really hope you do. I'm such a big fan and I would talk to you about this for hours and we do often. Yeah. <laughs> um, Glenn, where can we all check you out, find out more? Um, and I know you've got a whole bunch of free stuff as well that you create because you truly do care about helping people recover from emotional eating and, and all this good stuff that you do, where can we find you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, speaking of seeing a psychologist and you're right, my team is great. You can find us at uh, www.weightmanagementpsychology.com.au. Check the show notes. I'll pop that in the show notes. So you, can just, just go and, go and you know, speaking of the importance of mindset, which I could talk about all that like, we could talk about forever, we have a cool little free ebook called the missing piece because I think sometimes mindset is the missing piece of the puzzle. So maybe we could put that in the show notes and people can download that. It's just seven hacks for your eating, uh, movement, weight, and body image. Amazing. Yeah. Go to the show notes. I'll pop that in there as well because I yep. want you to be able to tap that. Beautiful. And one other thing could be that we actually have a really cool mindset quiz. This one does take about 20 minutes but you can actually measure your level of, say, for example, emotional eating as well as diet mindset, intuitive eating, body image, all the stuff that our people are interested in and, mm. and see where you're at with it. And then you can actually, you know, play around with some of these ideas and then in a couple of months see has my emotional eating reduced, has my intuitive eating increased. So that would be a cool thing to check out too. That'd be really cool. I mean, I've heard from people who've listened to the podcast who said, I didn't even know that I was emotional eating or binge eating. And since listening to you, I realized that this is something. So especially yeah. if you're at that point and you're going to go, how, you know, is this within the realm of normal? Um, where am I at? What do I need to do next? That's a really great thing for you to do. Um, I will pop that all in the show notes and also to follow you on Instagram. You're- My handle is Glenn McIntosh, G-L-E-N-N-M-A-C-K-I-N-T-O-S-H. I say that because both of my names are spelled wrong or different <laughs> so is mine yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah check me out on instagram and say hello go check out glenn glenn is brilliant um glenn thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks so much for having me lindy
Hey, I've got a question for you. Does binge eating feel like your dirty secret? And are you sick of trying to be good, but falling off the bandwagon and losing control around food? If so, I can help. Binge Free Academy teaches you how to beat binge eating and feel in control around food giving you doable evidence-based strategies. You'll get lifetime access to 30 practical step-by-step video lessons, 12 group coaching calls with me, and become part of my Binge Free Academy community for life. As a recovered binge eater, I get it. I know there's no quick fix or one-stop shop for binge eating. And so that's why I want to give you the ongoing support and care you need and deserve. And I'm so confident it will help you that I'm offering you a 30-day money-back guarantee. So no risk or reward. You can take control over your food and your life. And I think it's the best investment you'll ever make towards reclaiming your life, your health, and your happiness. To learn more about Binge Free Academy, you can click the link in the show notes or go to lindycohen.com slash binge-free-academy.